Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner podcast. This is the podcast for lifelong learners where we learn about anything and everything. My name is Caleb Mason. My name is Todd Ixenball, a.k.a. the Todd Father. And we have a great episode for you today. Today, we are going to be talking with Jim Stovall. And Jim recently uh, co-authored a book called The Art of Learning and Self-Development. And as you know, we are the Learner's Corner podcast. And so we love not just learning, but we love learning how to learn better. And that's really what this episode is going to be focused on. I wish you guys could have just seen Caleb's face. Like he got so excited when he got to say the thing about, you know, the Learner's Corner in the book. I mean, he got really excited. So yeah, Jim... Uh, talking about learning and, and talk about a person who has a ton of experience in so many different fields. Um, and you're going to really get to hear that, I think, in this episode. But the reason why we were, I was really excited to get to talk with Jim was because I, I guess whenever I think of learning, I think of, you know, <clears throat> there's only a couple of ways that it works uh, for me, and that's the way that I learned. But it was interesting to have him talk about all different types and all different ways of learning and how to really maximize on that. And the part that I think that I'm really excited about, well, I'll save that for the end. So we won't keep you waiting any longer. Here's our conversation with Jim Stovall. Well, Jim, we're so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Well, it's great to be with you guys. You know, as we get started, you know, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? I was uh, born and raised in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I still make my home today. And as a young man, it was my ambition to uh, be an All-American football player and go into the NFL. And I had the size and speed to do that. And the uh, coaches and scouts and people that monitor that uh, sort of thing assured me that uh, uh, my future lie there. And then one year during a, a routine physical to go play another season of football, I was diagnosed with a condition that would uh, cause me to lose my sight. And uh, I be- finished my athletic career as an Olympic weightlifter. And then uh, during my 20s, did lose my sight. And at age 29, as a totally blind person, I developed a way for blind and visually impaired people to access television, movies, and educational programming for schools, and uh, launched the Narrative Television Network, which I still run today. And and out of that came the opportunity to give speeches and do a weekly syndicated column around the world, and then to start writing books. And I, uh, I've written over 40 books now, and eight of them have been turned into movies, and that gives me the opportunity to talk to guys like you. Wow. Well... We want to talk with you about um, one of your recent books, The Art of Learning and Self-Development. And I was just wondering, you know, what what made you want to write, you know, the book, The Art of Learning and Self-Development? I was uh, speaking at an event in Washington, D.C. for the U.S. Department of Education, and a colleague with the department introduced me to Dr. Raymond Holm, my co-author in this book. And Ray uh, is a world leader in audiology, and I'm a blind guy. So for a hearing expert and a blind guy to get together, it didn't seem to make a lot of sense till we started talking, and uh, we've now done four books together. And, you know, what I love putting together is his, you know, academic uh, 
real scientific background on thing and my real world experience out here dealing with uh, people in the business world and the uh, personal development field. Great. Wait, one, one of the things that, or one of the statements that stood out to me, you know, in your book is that, you know, you kind of say that learning does not uh, occur if it's forced or required or mandated by people. And I was just wondering, you know, why do you find that to be the case? You know, I think we we internalize the things we focus on, and when we're forced to learn something, you know, even in an academic setting, we may learn it long enough, you know, to kind of get through the test or whatever is required, but, you know, it really doesn't stay with us, and the things that become our passion are the things we pursue, and, uh, you know, and that's one of the things that disturbs me about some formal education is, uh, you know, they can take some of the most exciting things from literature or world history and somehow find a way to make them boring to kids or young adults. And, uh, you know, I just, I think uh, if people would teach the things they have passion for and share that passion with their students, I think the students would be more engaged by it. Mm -hmm. You know, another thing uh, that you say in the book is that you know, that we learn from the things that tend to interest us or the things that we're passionate about. And, you know, have you uh, found a way or come across a way of making, you know, the uninteresting things or the things that we're forced to, forced to learn or mandated to learn to become interesting? Like, how do you make those things interesting that we're forced to learn? Well, I, I, you know, I remember as a kid, I was trying to study geometry. I thought it was boring and it didn't make any sense. And we're learning all these angles and everything. And then uh, one of my teachers uh, realized this wasn't working. So she made a baseball analogy. And, you know, when a, when a ball comes off the bat at a 90-degree angle, it goes straight back out because uh, that's the angle of descent. But if it comes, uh, you know, at an 85-degree angle, it's going to come off at uh, on the other side. And, you know, it, it was just interesting to, you know, you can take anything and show why this matters to something that's interesting to other people. And, uh, you know, I, I think that works in adult learning or in the corporate arena or anywhere else. Why is it that people don't do that more often, I guess, is the thing that I'm wondering, because I can think of just, you know, going through college and going through, you know, high school and all those things. And uh, there were subjects that the teachers would even joke about that they knew that it was boring. And yet they still they still did. Is there anything you guys found in writing this as to, 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 to what, maybe the why behind that? Why schools aren't adopting this more? Well, for better or worse, schools are. You know, we have to go there when we're kids. If you don't show up, they'll come to your house and, uh, you know, the truant officer or whatever. They make us do that. And in college, uh, you don't have to go there, but the professors kind of hold you hostage for a degree. But once people get out in the real world, whether it's the corporate arena or personal development or, or, or company events and the kind of things I come in and do, uh, I realize they don't have to be here. They can get up, walk out, and, you know, they're not going to get a degree from me. They're not required to be here. So I have to go to work. I have to make everything interesting and engaging. And, you know, even when I make my movies based on my books, uh, one of my movie partners probably said it best. When you can tell a great story, you earn the right to share your message. But unfortunately, in academia, too often, uh, people feel like they got a captive audience and they don't really work at it. They don't make it exciting or interesting. And I, I think that's really sad. 
I think I'm just, I guess I'm just thinking of all of the, the practice. So, so there's many fields that, that teaching and this kind of thing applies to. I'm even thinking of people who, who, you know, for, for a living or public speakers, as, as you kind of are. What are some of those things that you do to continue to, to make your teaching relevant and as you're talking to audiences? Well, every time I share a principle or an example from my own life, I have a what I call in my mind, whether I'm writing it or speaking it, a so what. I mean, I can tell you some principle of something, but unless I have a so what, I don't share it. I don't write it. I don't speak it because it's got to matter to you. So if I'm sharing something, you know, I will likely say or, or overtly or covertly, here's why this matters to you. Here's the difference it makes. And then every time I share a principle, I always go through, what do I know? How do I know it? And when did I learn that? And, uh, and what do I know is the principle? How do I know it is the scientific background for that, like Ray does uh, in his research. But when did I first find out is always a story. And, you know, people remember stories. It's, it's uh, you know, they'll, they'll always remember those things, and it sticks with them, and it's a great way to, uh, to learn material. How, how, did you, how did you learn about that method that you were talking about, you know, for, for teaching what you've learned? I guess, you know, I have 10 million books in print among my 40 titles, and for better or worse, years ago, I decided to put my phone number and email in all of my books, so millions of people around the world can contact me, and I probably get three or four calls or emails a day from aspiring writers, people who want to know, how do I write a book, how do I get it published, and everything, and so I, I kind of, you know, just went back through some of my books, and how do you write a book, and uh, you know, so I always tell them, uh, you know, list 12 things you know that you think everybody ought to know. And if you don't have 12 things you know that everybody else ought to know, don't write a book. But if you got 12 things you know that everybody ought to know, and then I realized, uh, tell what you know, what's the principle behind it, and then how did you find that out? And, and, and put yourself in the picture. And uh, that seems to make an engaging formula, whether I'm making a movie or a speech or writing a column or one of my books. Have you found, is there much of a difference between uh, writing a movie and writing a book? Yeah, um, a lot of difference. I mean, writing a book is very creative. It's open. Uh, you can do anything you want. I mean, in a book, I can blow up the universe for no money. It's just <laughs> black on white ink on paper. In the, in the movies, everything costs a million bucks. I mean, that's just, uh, you know, every time you turn around, you know, it, it's all about the money. Uh, I did a um, I did a movie with uh, the sequel to the Ultimate Gift, uh, the second in that trilogy, movie trilogy uh, called The Ultimate Life with Brian Dennehy and Peter Fonda and Michael Landon Jr. directed. And in the scene I'd written the, in the book, I'd written this flashback of uh, my main character being in the Navy during World War II. And I thought it was a great scene. And my dad had been in the Navy, so I drew on some of his experiences. And I write this. Well, Michael Landon calls me one day and says, Jim, can we change this to the Army? And I said, give me one good reason why I ought to change it to the Army. He said, I'll give you about 1.2 million good reasons why we ought to change it. Because oh, wow. even though the, the Navy was willing to loan us a, a ship uh, off the coast of North Carolina to, to shoot this, to be able to just go into some guy's field and dig some foxholes and turn it into Italy 1944, um, it just made a lot of difference. So in the movies, you've got the money thing always hanging over you. You've got the um, 
you know, when I my first book got turned into a movie, uh, 20th Century Fox called me and said, great book, write in some tension and conflict. I said, uh, what's tension and conflict? Well, it's... Um, <clears throat> You know, it's uh, a degree of violence or, or and and some relationship or sexual tension. They said you got to have that to have a commercial movie. So I, you know, I still kept it a PG movie because uh, you know that book's used in uh, over two thousand public schools as part of the curriculum. And I'm not going to make a movie kids can't go see. But you know, there's just those certain elements people are looking for. And then, you know, to take a story and condense it to an hour and a half or two hours, you've invariably got to leave some stuff out. And uh, that's always painful. And uh, and I have a great deal of respect for people that make movies because uh, they have to tell the story quickly and they don't have that internal dialogue. Uh, I mean, I can write a book about the, the three of us having this interview. And while we're talking you know, one of you is thinking this, and I'm thinking that, and remembering this. I can say anything I want, but in a movie, the character has to be talented enough, or the, the actor, uh, to be talented enough to, to, to pull that off and bring that emotion across. So I have a great deal of respect for those people, but uh, we live in a world where, um, y you know, if, if William Shakespeare or Mark Twain were alive today, in addition to writing books, I'm quite certain they would be making movies because uh, even with the millions of people that have read my books, there's many, many more people have seen the movies and continue to do so. Yeah. So one of the things um, that, that seems interesting, uh, just as we were kind of looking over um, the book and just trying to figure out some of uh, some of this is <clears throat> what are some what are. What are different ways that, that we can learn something? You know, I know that people talk about, you know, auditory learners or whatever. But to me, there seems like there's different ways that we can learn something. And, and everybody is, is a little bit different. Um, could, could you sure. talk and, about that and, for a minute? I think it's important for people to realize how that works. I, I wrote a book with Steve Forbes and Coach John Wooden on productivity called Ultimate Productivity. And we have a thing where people can go to ultimateproductivity.com and and take this, and it, it kind of assesses how they best motivate, communicate, and implement. Well, it's the same way people learn. I find that, particularly in adult learners, you can go in and there's some people they need to hear it. Other people need to read it and reread it. Some people need to see a diagram. Other people have to walk through it and actually experience it before they can make it happen. And still others, you have to explain it to them, and then they need to say it back in their own terms. And uh, I learned a lot of that from Coach Wooden when he had his teams at UCLA. He said there were some guys, they needed to have it on a piece of paper and see the diagram of the court on a page they're holding in their hand. Other guys just never got it till we actually went into the, the arena and they could stand at that spot on the court. Then they got it. Some people you had to tell, other people you had to draw it out for them. So it's different for everybody. And, uh, and you know, once you can learn what that is, um, you really make a difference. Unfortunately, in, in the academic setting, when we're kids or college age, uh, they don't care. This is the way we're all going to do it. And the fact that you could learn more effectively or efficiently another way, they don't really seem to care that much. And then when you get into the corporate arena, everybody's so conscious about keeping their job, they're afraid to say, look, I don't really get what you're telling me. So, uh, And then they always ask, the dumbest question anybody ever asks is, do you understand? 
Everybody always says yes, and everybody that ever misunderstood anything thought they understood it. That's why it's called a misunderstanding. And uh, so the dumbest question you can ever ask is, do you understand? The question is, what do you understand? And that will change a lot of uh, errors and misfires and poor communication. So I guess one of the things I get out of that is just, I really latched on to the to, to to moving into the corporate setting. How can how can bosses um, better utilize um, you know how people learn different things to be able to to be able to get the job done? Well, you know, I think I think the thing you have to keep in mind is everybody has to learn get the information, and you know it's not important how they get it; it's important that they do get it, and. Uh, so, you know, once you learn your people's, uh, you know, preferred way to communicate and the way they do it most effectively, you know, you can put together a powerful team. And everybody, you know, it's not just the way they, they communicate, it's the way they implement. I mean, there are people that need to work all by themselves and then bring their component to the team. There are other people that need to work with the team. There are some people that literally multitask and do it fairly well. There are some people that have to be linear. They do one thing and then they go to the next and the next and the next. And then a lot of it is, is just to put the motivation behind it. And people are all motivated in, in different ways. In the corporate setting, a few people, but very few are, are, are motivated solely by money. Most people are motivated by praise, adulation, being a part of the team, truly making a difference, seeing success, seeing their work be meaningful to other people. Those are the kind of things that uh, motivate people. And when they're motivated, they're willing to go learn and do the things they have to do to make it happen. When they're not motivated, um, you know, that's when things start to break down and, you know, it's like, what's the least I can do to get through this job? Or in the academic setting, is you know, is this going to be on the test and how much of this do I really have to pay attention to? You know, Jim, another thing that, um, you know, Todd and I are big learners and we're always trying to learn, you know, how can we learn best, but also how can we learn things very quickly? And so do you have any tips for learning things quickly? Well, one of the things I've done, and it's it's, it's embarrassing to tell people, you know, as a best-selling writer, I always hate to tell people, but when I could read with my eyes like you guys do, I don't know that I ever read a whole book cover to cover. I was an athlete, and I thought I'm never going to have to do anything else, and it didn't matter to me. After losing my sight, I discovered audio books in the National Library for the Blind at a time when digital formats were just coming into the norm, and I was actually involved in, in, in the original uh, experiments that uh, did, um, you know, audio compression. So I have a lot of variable speed things, so I can speed them up a little faster and a little faster. And, and um, you know, today I can listen at hundreds of words a minute, sometimes 600, sometimes even more. Uh, depending on how intense the content is. And doing that allows me to read a book every day. There has not been a day in the last 20-some-odd years I haven't read a whole book. I read a book every day, and I get up early in the morning, and uh, usually between 4 o'clock and 7 or 7.30 in the morning, I finish a book. And that has changed my world. Being a reader made me want to be a writer. Being a reader allowed me to educate myself. And, uh, you know, and, and be aware of many, many things in the world I just didn't even know existed. Sure. Okay, I just got to ask, because I'm, I'm a huge reader as well. What 
what have been, you know, a couple of books that you've read recently that you would recommend? I would highly recommend the new biography of Leonardo da Vinci uh, by Walter Isaacson. And I've read five or six books on Leonardo. I think he's one of the most interesting historical figures of all time. But in this new biography, just came out last year, 2017, there's actually a lot of new stuff about Leonardo. Uh, some of the scientific things they're able to do with some of his paintings, and they've been able to authenticate some of them, and he actually used his fingertips some on the paint, and they can look through layers of it now they couldn't do before. They've actually identified his fingerprints 500 years later in a lot of things. And, you know, it's just some of the fascinating things about him. Uh, the, the book opens with a letter he had written, to the, to the ruler of Milan, and Leonardo had written him a letter. He was trying to get a job and be sponsored by the court to do some of his work in Milan. And so he told about, you know, I'm an expert in anatomy, botany, chemistry. I have designed, engineered all these things. I do weaponry. I do color. I do animals and entomology. And he goes through all these things, and it's the 11th paragraph before Leonardo wrote, and I paint, too. And that's, in fact, that's the name of the first chapter, and I paint too, which, you know, it's amazing to think of a guy who was arguably one of the best-known painters in the world doing the, the Mona Lisa and the Last Supper, and he could write, uh, you know, 10 paragraphs of stuff before he gets to the 11th, where he brings up the fact, that, and I paint too. And so I think that's a great, great book. Uh, uh, there, there's a book written by two brothers called The Power of the Moment. I read uh, just uh, just after the first year. I think it's just a powerful book. Uh, uh, I, the book I read today is by a lady named Betty Boyd. It's called The Last Boy, and it's a study of Mickey Mantle's life and just kind of when the media and sports and uh, everything in general, you know, we lost our innocence, and uh, the media used to cover up everything bad about heroes like Mickey Mantle and show everything good to make him look good, and then probably about the time of Richard Nixon, they reversed that, and uh, now they try to find everything bad they can, and that's the headline. So fascinating books, and, uh, and uh, you know, books have become such an important passion in my life. Mm -hmm. Do you have... You know, I'm, I can just imagine you know, taking all in all this content. Do you have any uh, tips for like ret retaining all of that, like retaining all the information? No, I, I, you know, I retain the things that that interest me, that that I want to know about. Um, you know, I, you know, there are tricks to use. I, I remember I was doing an event. Uh, you know, you do a lot of these arena events where there's several other speakers, and there was a guy named Jerry Lucas, and Jerry was an NBA player and then became a memory expert. And we were somewhere in the upper Midwest doing this event, and I thought he was a fascinating guy. And I don't know why, I was talking about something on one of the Great Lakes, and I, I said I could never remember all those Great Lakes. And he turned to me and said, you'll never forget it the rest of your life. Holmes, H-O-M-E-S. Just remember Holmes. You'll never forget it the rest of your life. And to this day, I mean, I know the, the, the five great lakes. And I mean, it just, so there are always tricks like that to remember and, and, and things like that. But, you know, I, I think when we were in school uh, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, um, there was a big premium put on, can you memorize this and regurgitate all these dates and stuff? 
I just don't know how valid that is anymore. I mean, every person running around with a smartphone, you know, is 10 seconds away from knowing anything you ever wanted to know. I mean, you and a smartphone are the most intelligent being that lived on the planet up until a few years ago because you have access to all this information. So now I think education and learning is much more about figuring out what's real, what's relevant, what matters, how can we put that together, you know, how can we take two things that are different and put them together and make one, one and one and turn that into ten. You know, uh, you know those kind of things combine the things that matter because uh, you know we carry that stuff at our fingertips. And uh, because I'm a blind guy and uh, and uh, you know I don't type, I don't use a smartphone, I don't do anything. I'm like people used to be a generation ago. I probably know 150 phone numbers, and you know I'm amazed to talk to other people. They don't even know their own phone number because it's all in this little device they carry around. You know, and I find that to be fascinating. Mm-hmm. Have you have you found there is there a difference between learning something brand new and almost like refreshing yourself on things that you've already learned? I, you know, I think when you when you learn something, you know, learning something brand new is fascinating because you know I didn't know that. Why why didn't I know that? Why is this amazing? Why? But uh, you know, so often I go back and I'm I'm reading about something. I read when I was in high school, or I was supposed to have read when I was in high school. I probably didn't. And, you know, I look at it now. I, I just, um, in the last 30 days, I reread Dante's Inferno. And I, you know, I was supposed to read that in high school, and I was supposed to read it in college. And I think I got the cliff notes, or, you know, so, you know somebody gave me their notes or something. I got through it, but um, I, I just, you know, I wasn't interested in it. Now I sit down and I reread it, and I thought, how did I, how how did I not find this to be fascinating? I mean, what was going on in my world where I just didn't get this? And what an amazing creative force Dante was, and uh, and I, you know, some of that goes to uh, to the teachers. I mean, uh, I just really don't think they did a great job explaining that, and you know, and and they should have, you know, let me tell you, there's a guy who lived. Uh, uh, 400 years ago, Dante Alighieri. Let, let, let me tell you about this guy, and, and and he wrote this thing about a descent into the nine levels of hell, and what was there at the bottom, and at the bottom, the the inscription on the gate to hell says, "Abandon all hope here," and it means that uh, you know we can take anything in life we want, but uh, the last thing we lose when we when we have a living hell is we uh, we abandon hope. As long as you got hope. Yeah, you avoid that. So you know those kind of things. Um, but uh, so you know, I enjoy going back and revisiting things I have, I have uh, learned before. And you know, e- even even in my own books, I I rarely read my own books. And but when they come out on audio, I will, you know, on a flight or something, I'll listen to them. And there's parts of that I didn't remember, and I didn't know that. Or parts of my own movies, and I thought, man, that came out better than I remembered it, or that was different than I remembered it, or whatever. So, you know, going back and revisiting things always gives us a new option to pick up new stuff. Sure. So I guess one of the things that goes with that as well, um, on just learning something new or refreshing, is does it matter the environment? Like, what types of environments do people need in order to learn best? Is it 
depending on the individual or can we, are there categories and, and ways you can lump that in together? You know, I, I think it is, it is truly, um, you know, an individual thing in many ways, but right now we, we have so many images and influences bombarding us all the time. And it's really hard to get that singular focus. You, you go into kid's room and he's doing his homework and, you know, he's, he's got something on his computer and he's got the stereo on. And every time his phone beats, he's looking to see who's texting him and all those sorts of things. And it's really hard to get anybody's full attention anymore. And, uh, I think people learn best when they don't know they're learning. I mean, you know, we have made learning you know, school is a dirty word, and you have to read this, and you, you know, so, uh, I mean, I think it's kind of the same thing. We grew up not liking vegetables, because, uh, you know, somebody told you, you have to eat your vegetables, but if you eat your vegetables, you get to eat a piece of cake. Well, you know, if they'd have done it the other way around, we'd probably like vegetables and wouldn't want to eat cake. I don't know. You know, I, I, but I think when you tell people you have to do this and I'm going to make you do this, you immediately know this is something that people w otherwise wouldn't do. They got to make you do this, you know. And uh, um, I just, uh, I, because of the ultimate gift of book and movie being in so many schools, I, um, I'll do these satellite things with the kids, or you know, occasionally I'll go to schools and. I remember sitting in this guy's history class. He was talking about World War II, United States history, middle school students, you know, 12, 13-year-old kids. And they are bored to death. I am bored to death, you know. And, and it, I was sitting there, and it was about the same year that uh, uh, Tom Hanks' uh, movie, Saving Private Ryan, had come out. What an amazing movie. It grosses $100 million, riveting story. And I'm thinking, hold it, Tom Hanks and Lucas can take a film like that and make hundreds of millions of dollars and turn it into this fascinating thing. And they could have made a movie on anything they want, but they picked that point in World War II because they knew it would be fascinating and engaging and people would want to pay attention to that. But somehow this teacher, who says he wants to be a school teacher and teach history, is so bored by it himself or he makes it so boring to these kids that, um, you know, that uh, it just it becomes irrelevant to them, and uh, you know I'm amazed that you can take a point in history where you know Hitler's about to take over the world, and uh, the the uh, uh, the Brits are hanging on by their fingernails, and uh, you know Churchill is praying we'll get in the war, and all these things are happening, and you know that thing that that ball bounces the other way, and. Uh, you know, we're all speaking German, or uh, and we're not living in a free world anymore. I mean, you know, those those kind of things were hanging in the balance, but to to, to take that and make it boring is amazing to me. You know, another thing that we're wondering about is: is there a difference between learning something yourself and learning something from someone else? I think so. I think so. And when you really own it is when you when you take it personally, when you internalize that. Um, uh, you know, if I'm going to, if I find something I'm really interested in and I'm going to write about it or talk about it or whatever, I try to put myself in the picture. And what I mean by that is, uh, uh, today I was reading this, this Mickey Mantle book and, uh, 
And um, there's a, a point in this book I want to refer to in one of my books or a speech at some point. But what I don't want to do is just tell my readers or the people in my audience, hey, I was reading this book about Mickey Mantle, and did you know, you know, well, yeah, they can go read a book. So uh, I got a hold of a guy, a friend of mine, uh, who's a fishing guide up in Montana, and we've been friends for years. And, and I know that he used to guide one of the guys that played on one of the Yankees teams with Mickey Mantle. And I called him, and I said, is Cleet Boyer's kid still around? If so, what I, I'm looking for just a brief phone call where I can talk about, uh, he can tell me something about a personal incident, some story about that. And because... Then I can say, hey, you know, I, I read this book, and I actually talked with uh, one of the kids of a former Yankee, and here's the memory of, of uh, that. Or um, just before Christmas, I was doing some research on Bobby Knight for a, a, a book I'm writing about another coach. Well, I, I spent 20 minutes on the phone with Bobby Knight, and there's a big difference between I read this online and, you know, I was talking to Coach Knight the other day. And here's what he told me, and here's how it impacted me. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I, when I put myself in the conversation or in the picture, I put my readers or my audience in the picture, and it makes a big difference. You know, the next thing uh, I want to ask about is, have you found there to be a relationship between uh, learning something and teaching something? Yeah, I, I, I think the, the, the best way to learn something at, at its base level is to teach it. I mean, you really have to think about it and what matters and why does this matter and, uh, you know, and you have to share your feelings relating to that subject. And, uh, you know, I'm involved in a lot of, I have a foundation that, and we support a lot of educational initiatives. And one of the most exciting ones is we take public school teachers who are teaching history and civics and whatever, and we arrange trips for them to go to Washington, D.C., and tour the White House and all the monuments and the Supreme Court and, and the House and the Senate and all those things. Because And then the next year, when they're talking to their kids, it, it's a different experience now. Hey, kids, I was there. And the, what's really amazing is when you walk in, right on your left is this thing. And it's, it's uh, you know, it goes from a theory to a reality. And uh, it makes a lot of difference. Um, one of the things that I, I think I just keep getting from this interview is um, that a lot of things are, are more possible than we, than we give them credence for. So what would you say to the person that says, I'm not smart? or I don't read, I can't learn, um, or I wasn't good in school. So learning from me just isn't possible. What advice would you give to them? Well, you know, I just finished a book and movie project. It'll be out this fall. It's called Think and Grow Rich, the movie. And it's kind of the life and impact of the author, Napoleon Hill, who wrote Think and Grow Rich. And in, he was born in 1880, but... Um, he was a young newspaper reporter, and one of his assignments was to interview Andrew Carnegie, the founder of U.S. Steel, one of the richest men of the world uh, at that time. And he asked Carnegie, what does it take to be wealthy or successful or rich? And Carnegie said, no one has ever really defined that science of success, but if you'll dedicate the next 20 years of your life to doing that, I'll make it possible. And they agreed. And Napoleon Hill interviewed uh, people set up by Carnegie, but he interviewed 
Thomas Edison and Henry Ford and Alexander Graham Bell and Helen Keller and all these people, 500 of the, the, the most successful people of the day, and that culminated in the book Think and Grow Rich, it came out in 1937. But in redoing this story, we part of the movie we reenacted a scene with Thomas Edison as a seven-year-old child and his mother, and he comes home uh, with this note from school. His mother opens it and reads it and looks at him, and then says, "It, you know, it says your son is a genius. He he's too smart to be taught at our school. You'll have to teach him on your own." And then it shows her teaching him through the years and everything else. Fifty years later, Edison's in his laboratory and he's unpacking some things from his mother, and she's passed away. He he comes across this letter. What it actually said, your son's an imbecile. He can't learn, and we won't allow him to come to our school anymore. But she transformed that and changed his life and changed the world we live in by simply uh, telling, if you will, a white lie to her son. And she told him, it says you're a genius, and uh, you're too good for this school. And, you know, I, I just don't believe we can't learn. I don't, you know, because, you know, everybody is uh, is knowledgeable about something. Everybody's knowledgeable about something. And uh, Gandhi said, every man in, is my superior and that I can learn something from him. I mean, there's some people, you, you, I mean, maybe, maybe what you learn is what I don't want to do with my life. But you can learn something from everyone. But I find that everyone has passion, excitement, and a depth of knowledge about something, whatever it is. And I think you can expand on that. But you've just got to find their hot buttons and find out what matters to them. And I think that's the natural order of things, guys. I mean, if you get a three-year-old kid in here, the biggest thing they want to know is why. What's that? Well, that, you know, that uh, purifies the air. Why? Well, it, it takes the smoke. Well, why? Well, the carpet doesn't. Well, why? Because the sky is blue. Why is the sky blue? I mean, that's our natural order. We want to know everything. And then slowly we sit in the classroom and get that all, um, you know, beat out of us over the years. But uh, I think if we get back to that passion and what matters and why, I, I think uh, I think we can really excel at learning, and that's why I think people should pursue a profession that is part of their passion and then continue to learn about it. I, you know, and, and, and adult learning has never been more important than it is now. I don't care if you have an MIT or Stanford uh, postgraduate uh, degree. Uh, five years from now, you're absolutely obsolete if you don't keep learning because the field, everything changes so rapidly. You know, Jim, I could just tell from talking with you that you really are a life, you're a lifelong learner. I mean, and I'm so glad that we get to have this conversation with you. And just one thing that I'm curious about is, you know, whenever you become interested in a subject, what does your process look like for learning the most that you can about it? Um, one of the young ladies here in my office downloads audiobooks for me. So when I find an author or a subject or something that fascinates me, I will have her download everything she can on that. I'm going to read about it. And then in the course of my business, whether it's movie stars, athletes, politicians, people for my books or people I work with on stage, I have had the privilege of getting to know and interact with some of the most fascinating people of the 20th and the 21st century now. And I always, among the other questions I'll ask them is, what are you reading now? What, what, what are you reading? What fascinates you now? And what are you reading? And what other books have you read in the past that uh, 
that you would recommend to someone. And I read a lot of what other people are reading. And just just as we get ready to conclude, one question that we always love to ask uh, people is, what are you learning right now? I am reading at home a a series of books, uh, fiction books, novels, with reoccurring characters. Uh, Robert B. Parker's Spencer series, Louis L'Amour's Sackett series, a lot of those kind of books. Because I, I have several of those going myself with uh, detective novels or my Ultimate Gift series, or now I'm doing a series of historicals. And there's a real um, science to taking a series of five or six books with the same characters and having it so that someone who has never read one of these books and they pick, they pick up volume four, they can get up to speed with this new story and get the background character development they need to make it interesting. But you still don't bore the guy that's read the other three books. You know, he's saying, hey, I already knew all that. Can we move on with the new story? So I'm seeing how some really great authors do that and in very, very subtle ways. And, uh, you know, so that's kind of something I'm I'm learning a lot about right now. And uh really enjoying it. I mean, you know, great stories, great characters. You know, Jim, if people want to continue to learn from you or find out more about you, you know, what's the best way for them to do that? Jim Stovall, S-T-O-V-A-L-L, jimstovall.com. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. You guys are wonderful. I appreciate it. So, Todd, tell me some of the things that you took away from our conversation with Jim. Well, one of the things I found fascinating was how he talked about how he reads about a book a day. And one of the, the reason why that's so interesting is because to me that would seem like information overload. Like I wouldn't be able to process and, and, and really be able to think about all that information. I would just lose it. But I think what's interesting is how he talked about how for him he doesn't necessarily want to memorize the whole book. He wants to just be able to pull nuggets out and to be able to, to, to understand those. The other thing I thought – was very it was helpful for me was when he talked about um, learning and and how in the business world how we can utilize that to be able to help the people who are under us um, who are employees or who we're leading to be able to accomplish their jobs. Um, I, I just think that it's it's an incredibly under underappreciated and undervalued in that world, which is to to kind of pay attention to how your people function, how they learn um, to be able to accomplish the task. I just think it was really um, insightful. Yeah, I thought that I thought that was pretty interesting, too. And I mean, I think sometimes we can be uh, trapped in um, kind of like these false rules or something like that, especially whenever it comes to like books and stuff like that, is that what we have to re- like, we believe that we have to read every single word. And I rarely do that. I rarely read, you know, every single word of every single Caleb, book. Don't be telling people your tips, man. You have this, you have this, you have this mystique going right now. <laughs> I doubt that. <laughs> but it's just the idea of, you know, learning as much as you can, as fast as you can, the best that you can. And, you know, some of the things that stood out, one thing that was really interesting that he talked about is that people learn best when they don't know that they're learning. And, you know, the way that I kind of took that is, yeah, I believe that's true. But I also believe it goes back to what he said earlier is that, you know, we learn about the things that we're passionate. And so sometimes learning can be a burden, but whenever we're passionate about it, we love, I mean, we love 
learning about the things that we're passionate about. And so that's pretty interesting. I think another thing too was, you know, he talked about, you know, instead of asking, do you understand? Ask, what do you understand? Because I mean, how Todd, how many times have you asked someone, you know, do you understand it? And what do they say most of the time? Yep. I got it. Yeah. And they might, they might get it, but they might not get what you want them to get. Mm -hmm. And so that was a huge thing for me too. Now, remember, all throughout the month of January, we're releasing two episodes a week. Times two. And so in just a couple of days, we're going to be releasing another episode of the podcast. And the best way to make sure that you don't miss our next episode is by subscribing to our podcast on whatever podcast player you use, whether it's on iTunes, Overcast, you know, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, whatever it may be. Subscribe to the podcast. It's the best way to make sure, especially one of we're we're releasing two episodes a week or bonus episodes. It's the best way to make sure that you don't miss any of our episodes. Also, leave us a rating and write a review of the podcast. You know, if this podcast has helped you in any way, and the best place you can leave your rating or write a review is on iTunes because iTunes seems to be, you know, kind of the, the granddaddy of it all whenever it comes to podcasts. Oh my gosh, and so, you just said granddaddy of it all. Yes, I did. Oh my. And so leave us a rating or write a review on uh, iTunes. Let us know what you're learning about. Let us know how the podcast has helped you. Let us know some things that you'd like to see us cover. And let us know how we can improve. Because we're always wanting to continue to improve the quality of the podcast so you can have a great experience as well. Your street cred just took a hit. If you want to follow us during the week, you can do that on social media. Hit us up on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, Twitter is Learner's Podcast, as well as um, Instagram is also Learner's Podcast. At me. If you want to at Todd, you can add him on his social media as well. He's on the gram and on Twitter oh, as geez. well. Oh, geez. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Until next time, keep learning and keep growing. Deuces, y'all.